Guys, this is the 50th episode of the Skullcast. And what about I guess the movie episode? Well, 51st, but we're calling it the 50th for, for numbering reasons. Yeah, okay. for, by all, for all reasons, it should have been the last episode, but I've given up on trying to fix that because that'd be crazy to fix that at this point. So welcome to the 50th episode. Special. It was. It was a special, even though the next movie one was numbered, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything too huge planned uh, for this show. It's kind of just normal episode, but uh, we are going to take listener email. I had two people email in, Obery and Tama. So we're going to listen to those towards the end of the show, and they have some questions, and so we'll check those out. A new way to do things, if it continues, if it keeps up, maybe it's a special thing, maybe it's a normal, I don't know. Well, well, I was telling my wife, I mean, just having a Berserk episode for the 50th episode, I mean, that's like a milestone in itself. So, I mean, it's pretty cool that it coincided. Yeah, I, I really was hoping it would be something like that. But, of course, I mean, we were going to we were gonna wait anyway. I mean, we were either going to do Volume 10 or, or the 336, so it was going to be one or the other. I'm pouring a beer. Sure. <laughs> Is this Go for uh, the Big 50? Yeah, actually, I was going to get some wine, but I didn't have time to go get the wine. So I had a yingling in the fridge, and that's what I grabbed. Hmm. I know Az has wine. Well, you know, although it is I, ten I, in the morning here. I, I've had a headache, you know, in the afternoon. Uh, so so wine, wine sounds perfect. Then what's the what's the whole yeah thing? red wines? That's the cure. Is it true in France that you can basically tap a tree? And then wine just comes out. Like instead of maple syrup, you guys have wine. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you just you know, you know, you nail you know some small yeah. uh, hole. Spigot. Of, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and it just comes out. Yeah, that's so. Well, awesome. I mean, they can you know you can just like cut a vein and wine will come out. You know, and you can feed you know people that way. It's, you know, it's very... Well, you know, like in those sinks, you've got you know uh, there, there's water and there's a wine right next to there's... it. You know. There's hot, cold, and wine. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, it's super regulated by the government, though. You know, the, the socialists over in France yeah. regulate yeah, it's everything. Only, it's only government-approved wine, you know? <laughs> no the regulation is like, you know, every man, woman, and child must drink it at dinner. So Yeah. You know. No Whether free markets or free thinking over here. <laughs> <clears throat> There are two things I wanted to mention Berserk-related before we get fully on into the episode itself. And uh, I think one of them – well, anyway, the two things are, first, if you guys have not checked it out yet, you should go check out uh, the FloraCast hosted by Grail, which is a all-women Berserk podcast. It was pretty good. I think it's uh, just under two hours, I think it was. So pretty beefy. I think it's their first episode. They didn't say for sure we're recording another, but it sounds like they are going to do more. I hope they do because it's a big uh, topic. They're they're basically focusing on the series from a female perspective. So stop sucking up on them. It's what we do, man. We 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 share the we, we share the love. I think it, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, it was right. <laughs> the voice of the, the voice of Kennedy. Sure. But um, other thing I wanted to mention was I forgot to do this last time, and uh, since the last episode, our we found out that you can download young animals uh, legally uh, on through Hakusenshaw's e site, Hakusenshaw-e.net. And it's just basically, it's so easy too, a couple of clicks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, before Azil made the guide, I mean, I I was the, I was the pioneer here. I, I did it blind and. 
It really wow. did not take long. It took like, I don't know, five minutes, you know, and huh. you basically just if you're on the website, you can right click any part of the page and hit translate. And then you can it's pretty much straightforward, but it looks complicated. But really, it's just it looks complicated because the zeal was super comprehensive in how it went. Yeah. So it's really not difficult to do. I, mean, it's probably, I mean, it's like any other transact, you know, click to buy, put in the info and, yep. you know, that's you pretty got much it. it. Yeah, that's um, cool. But it only the, the cool part is uh, it's only three bucks. It's three hundred yen, so it's like probably a little less than three. I think it was two dollars ninety cents or something like that. I can anyway, afford three dollars every six months, so that's <laughs> so it's it's super cheap. The quality is really good. Um, way way better than the quality we've seen in previous episodes with the scan quality. Uh, so it's really nice. The only downside is that it comes out a week late, and I'm guessing. It, I mean, it would certainly be in their best interest to stop that bullshit procedure. I'm guessing they're fearing they're going to encroach on the print sales. Yeah. If they make their digital, you know, the same as print. Why would you buy print? And then that will downsize their print inside of the industry, which obviously is what keeps them afloat. But it's just stupid. It just means people are going to – it gives them more incentive to pirate it. I mean, I've always maintained that one of the best things they can do to combat piracy is make it super quick and super easy to do. Uh, and, and cheap as well. So anyway, it's great. You can go check it out. Uh, three bucks is no price at all to pay for Berserk once every issue. So uh, you can also download one, volumes one through thirty four. I don't know why they haven't done thirty five through thirty seven yet, but that's what they got. Um, it's probably the the same reasons. They're probably oh yeah trying to protect yeah. the print business. You know, a, a lot of media groups are like that, including the company I work for. So <clears throat> they're just trying to protect, you know, the print. As much as it can, but yeah, as you know, time goes by, it will uh, probably stop once they realize it's useless. That being said, you can download uh, the Gigantomachia volume, <clears throat> which I did. It's, I think it was like six bucks, which you're going to be, if you import that, wow. you're going to be paying 15, 16 bucks at the least. So pretty awesome uh, for six bucks to get the whole volume. Uh, and I peeked through it. I did not notice any changes, no additional mystery pages, at least none that I noticed. Uh, and uh, so go check it out. I'm curious about the uh, the volumes, actually. Well, what about them? Like the backlog of uh, Berserk volumes mm-hmm. you were mentioning. Like I would just want to see the quality of that and like the two-page spreads. I'm, it's very tempting, the idea of like perfect digital copies. You know, Berserk. that's actually – we're going to get into that in this episode, but – it is really kind of cool to be getting what we are getting through uh, the digital young animals because what you're getting is there's no artifacting. There's no oh this messed up in the printing process or oh yeah. this you know this this thing has some kind of uh, weird lines on it. Is that how it's supposed to look? This is like you cut out the bullshit printing completely and you get yeah. images. You know, it's almost too clean at first. You know, yeah, it is. The one thing I did kind of t- took a, took me aback is. I don't like super, super high contrast images and it's, it's not super high contrast, but you have to think maybe that's just how it looks. And when we get these low contrast scans, that's just a, a, an effect of the poor printing quality. You know? Yeah. That, so, you know, the texture we see could just be poor printing, poor, right. you know, scanning of the image. Like you're picking up the texture of the paper or something where it's like, that's not necessarily uh yeah. you know, what the ink was supposed to be conveying purely. That's interesting. So I guess my only really con- real concern with it is it's not like an insanely high, you know, you could probably scan it at higher quality if you really wanted to, but it's obviously it's it's sized for distribution, not sized for like, you know, archiving. 
Yeah, yeah. the thing is, was... you, can, you can get a higher resolution image, but that's still a lesser quality. You know what I mean? So, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, as long as it's been printing on sheet paper, you can scan it as much as you like, and then you know, haven't spent time cleaning Photoshop. It's never gonna be as good as something that's straight from you know Mira's drawing. Right. Yeah, my my only concern with that is how it would hold up over time. Because like you said, not for archiving where, uh, you know, when I open it on my computer in, you know, 50 years to show my grown-up grandchildren, you know, and go, look, this is the greatest story ever. And, you know, they're like, we can't even see it. It's like a thumbnail. I'm like, oh, you know, and, uh, that would just be embarrassing. So, well, I, mean, I, imagine, I don't know. It, I imagine they'll rescan it, you know, over the years, like, you oh, know. Yeah. HD version. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like in five years, it will be you know uh, revamped. And, and I'm, a... I'm sure that my buying the digital copy already will give me access to those higher quality oh, images. Oh, it's definitely. A, we're talking about a Japanese company. They care about their customers. Yeah, I'll be grandfathered right in. Oh yeah. <laughs> we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, the episode that just came out is episode three thirty six. It continues. Directly from the last one, uh, so we're still here in Falconia as Rickert's making his way through uh, the palace portion of Falconia beyond the walls. What's really cool about this whole episode is, just like the last one, we're seeing far beyond what we once knew of Falconia. You know, for years now, since its introduction, we wanted to know what it looked like inside, and so every page, pretty much every page, we're getting a new view of how how deep the palace goes. New areas, new aspects, new ideas for what Falconia is and what Falconia means for the rest of the series. I got the impression as they're as Mira is laying this out that we're kind of we're, he's setting up the future. He's setting up this is the status quo and how things will be from here until the end of the series. And so every little detail matters. Every little detail will come back into play later. All those things. So it gives us a really comprehensive view of things. So it's really cool. Those are the pillars, you know. Guts will, you know, strike down. Exactly. As fight, as he's fighting <laughs> yeah. Zod in the, you know, holes, you know, leading to Griffith. This is the, <laughs> this is the bridge he's gonna cross, you know, with the bat wings on it. We're gonna see, you know, yeah. the same yeah. shot, but with him holding his sword and his cape. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start from the beginning. Uh, it kind of starts just pretty much exactly how it ends. The same scenes, the setups. It's a setup image mostly. But I had a question. Who are these souls? Uh, the reason I ask is because some of them are dressed as soldiers, and so it's pretty easy to deduce they were those that died in the battle against Kanishka and all those crazy things. But who, yeah, not everybody is dressed like that. So who are Actually, those people? You know, I, don't, I don't think the soldiers who died against Kanishka you know, are still here. I think those guys are long gone. To okay. me, these are the people probably who were killed by you know trolls or other pests, you know. Like refugees and uh, the soldiers who went out to protect them, you know. So uh, that's how I interpreted this picture. You know, like these people are either refugees or, you know, people who died from natural causes. But I'd say refugees and soldiers who fought, you know, to protect them from, you know, as they reached uh, Falconia. So that's something I, th I don't think we underscored as much as we should have in the last episode. But I think it's a super key point, And that is... These aren't just local local dead people. These are people being brought in from outside Falconia's walls here so that people can get the benefit of greeting their loved ones again. So those that were killed far outside are being brought. It's like it's like a perk of being in Falconia is to see your loved one once more. Yeah, it was, it was actually, uh, I think, uh, underlined in a previous episode where they said, you know, the dead are brought to the castle and, you know, that in itself is some kind of honor for, you know, 
Zorado. Sure. But I mean, it's brought to the castle. I thought that meant just meant like you know, I don't know, an I'm immediate like the, people from the town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, I I don't think like. Yeah, I, I think it's only people who died, you know, like not too far from Falcon. I don't think someone who died all the way across the country would be brought as a dead body and then, you know, his soul would come. Yeah. I think it's mostly people who died recently. So pretty much immediately, uh, we knew this from last episode, but Locus is taking a pretty keen interest into Rickert. Uh, he immediately expresses that he wants to say something to someone who was a former member of the Band of the Falcon. And, uh, Owen, you know, I don't, I don't have a translation yet, but he looks like he's a little perturbed by that. Like, oh, hey, I'm going to go borrow your, uh, your teen over here for a second. <laughs> and, and Owen looks, I don't know, like he's stuttering. And then suddenly, you know, two soldiers come up or, you know, guards come up and say there's been an infiltration and that two guards were found unconscious. And so Owen rides off to check that out. But the timing of that does seem a little suspect and it could just be the typical, you know, coincidental things happening, but, uh, Some horns, you know, broke out of the barn and knocked yeah. out guards. <laughs> there was a tons of speculation in, in the thread about, you know, mm-hmm. with the nature of this infiltration and, you know, obviously no one truly knows, but I mean, as me and as you'll said, I, I think that the, the most likely candidates just to, they, they have the motive and the, the means to do this at the Bakiraka. I mean, it makes sense. They were the odd ones out because of Silat's feelings as the, you know, as right as, Wyndham was being crushed. They weren't, they didn't want to be a part of uh, Griffith. So, you know, they have these pre-existing outliers that I'm, I'm assuming this is kind of a reconnaissance thing. I mean, it's just a, it's just a guess, but I don't think this was a giant, you know, assault and two unconscious guards probably just means that they ran, the Baki Raka ran into trouble while they were snooping around the castle or something like that. You know, who knows? Hmm. Anyway, what do you guys think? They would even be, if they would even be found out like that, you know, it seems almost a little too sloppy that they would like have to knock out a couple of guards or something mm-hmm. if they were stumbled upon. Yeah, I guess I they mean, could dispose of the bodies if they really had to. Probably. Or yeah, or you know, just sneak past them. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe the maybe they're not as much on the sneaking front as the rest of <laughs> the crew. But uh, I don't know. It's one of these things where are we going to see this again, or is this just like you know, oh, there's an infiltration, and yeah. you know, it was just some astral creatures trying, you know, slinking through, or you know, some maybe some people that were trying to get in, you know, not the well, right way, something you know, like that. The thing is, uh, those are the Pele's gods, you know. So like, I I don't think you know. Just from that, it's not like some someone on the outer perimeter was harmed or anything like that. So, I, I, you know, to me, it feels like this points to a very specific, like you know, infiltration. You know, mm. it's it's uh, you know, I, I don't think it could be just you know something random. And and I think actually we'll get to see. You know, maybe uh-huh. maybe it won't be super detailed, but uh, I think we'll we'll get to see the you know we'll hear more about this. You know, we, we'll see a follow up to this. However small it might be, but I think. But I wonder, is it something like specifically like interesting, like uh, Salatin crew, or is it more like, oh yeah, we get these infiltrations from time to time? I wonder if it'll be, you know, like Um, that. Well, you know, I see what you mean, but you know, even seeing Owen's reaction, I think it's not something they get like regularly. You know, I feel like, to me at least, my guess would be it's uh, something that's more than just. You know, a trivial detail, and I think we'll get to, you know, see more of it, you know, at some point. It will have, you know, it will be meaningful to me. Okay. I mean, I don't think it, mm, 
I'm my only thing on that, like to disagree, is that Locust doesn't, you know, maybe he's just got his mind on, you know, more important things, but it's like he doesn't care about, well, you know. You know eh. The thing is, to be honest, uh, why would he care? You know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. to guard yeah, that. To, Call to me when they're the... coming into the dome of evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, it's the thing is. You know, every time, you know, I actually like what Mura did with Locus in that I always found him to be, you know, ever since, you know, Mule first, you know, met him, he, he's always looked extremely sinister to me, you know, like he's fucking ominous. And this episode in particular reinforces that. And so I think you know, it always reminds me of what he told Mule again when uh, Griffith's army was marching uh, on uh, Windham, you know, about uh, soon the true sun, you know, the, the true dawn will, you know, come to the world, that kind of sh- stuff. I-, I think he just doesn't care because he knows pretty much nothing can harm Griffiths and he himself is, you know, I mean, what poses a threat to him? So I, I think that for, for all those reasons, he he doesn't really have a, a reason to care. You know, that's not even his job, you know. He can yeah. leave these kind of, you know, trifles to Owen. Yeah, but I understand um, your point. That being said, I understand what you know your point. It's a yeah. good point. I also agree, but his reaction was the most telling. But Locus is—it's almost—it's like super punctual. What happens actually is Owen's dragged away, and and while he's still in the background, Locus is like, "All right, let's go." You know, he yeah. doesn't even—he obviously does not really give much of a shit. Enough. I mean, it reinforces how untouchable the apostles of Griffith are at this point. You know, everything has been set up in in such a way that. What could possibly take them down? What could possibly be a threat? You know, so that's the attitude I get from him. Anyway, that page where he's walking, uh, leading Griffith, uh, leading Rickard on. Uh, and Rickard's looking at this sort of beautiful, you know, show going on. I mean, it literally is sort of a show. What's interesting yeah. to me about this is that he's t- taking him to show him something on before his meeting with Griffith, but he's not taking him to Griffith. He's actually taking him away from Griffith. Mm-hmm. Is kind of you know he they're really going out of their way to see this. It's not like oh we have to take you to Griffith's inner layer so you can talk to him. It's like here I want you to see something before you talk to him. You know they could have had this sort of just nice meeting after the big you know soul revival here, you know. But instead you know he wants him to see sort of the the I think underbelly yeah. first. I think it also it's telling that Locus doesn't seem to give much of a shit about this thing, you know, like the souls, yeah. you know, the dead, you know, it's like, you know, you know, his attitude is telling in that he knows it's, you know, pretty much bullshit or at least inconsequential. And, you know, these are know, parlor the, tricks, you know, that Griffith yeah. is putting on for the people. <laughs> Pre- pretty much. He's, he's just, you know, taking a record backstage, you know, essentially like, you know, come on, I'll show you the real stuff. You know, this is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we may as well just, cease or halt with the whole page by page progression and talk about kind of the bulk of the issue in this episode because we keep skirting around it. And that is this whole thing, this whole episode, uh, aside from the Diva Erica Luca, uh, you know, a side story kind of thing is basically Locus's rationalization for the state of the world. And also I've, I get the impression that he's basically kind of uh, warming Rickard up for what to expect from Griffith. Uh, whenever he has a sit down, basically, even though he's, I don't think he detects, you know, I don't think he's looking at Rickard like he's a threat. He's probably telling him all these things so that he knows kind of not to go into the, the conversation guns a blazing or anything like that, you know, to temper no, his expectations for what to expect. From you know, I, actually, it's, uh, I think it's interesting to think about <clears throat> Locus's agenda, you know, like, because mm-hmm. 
does Griffiths really need Locus to do this? I, I don't think it's, you know, like, well, what if, you know, Rickard actually asked Griffiths, oh, you know, why did you kill the guy, such a thing? You know, I don't think, like, would Femto give a shit? <laughs> No, well, no, it's, I you think know, it's... I also, I also don't think Griffith, like, if he, however he handled it, would, like, break a sweat, you know, and be like, oh, uh, I'm lost for words. <laughs> I mean, he'd say, if he wanted yeah. to, he could just, you know, shut him up with a look, or he could, you know, give some beautiful, melodious answer, you know, that makes sense, you know, and, like, it was yeah. very, you know, convincing. So, so this, I don't know, yeah. this makes it... This makes me think that this setup we're seeing with Locust, that we, you know, it gives me hope anyway that we're going to actually see sort of the real Griffith maybe for the first time since, you know, he's been back or, you know, since the Hill of Swords perhaps, you know, when he really was sort of just speaking, you know, coldly and frankly about things before he had to be like the nice guy all the time. Uh, and the thing is, you know, I actually wonder is like maybe maybe Locust himself you know, enjoys, you know, like, you know, the fact showing this to Rickert, you know, would say maybe scaring him a little or, you know, breaking up his, you know, yeah, I, you know, he's an apostle after all. He's not that much of a nice guy. So Let you know, me I, swallow your sadness. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you know, I, I actually wonder, you know, I really wonder what his agenda is, you know, here because, you know, the, the way, you know, he's, he asks, you know, what Griffiths intends to do, what Rickert intends to do and such. You know, it's not like he's looking out for, you know, to spare, you know, uh, Griffith's feelings. And I also don't think he's actually really uh, meaning to, you know, ease recurting on things or anything like that. Well, so, then what's the, re- what's the reasoning then? You've, you've, you've cast aside both sides of the speculation well, for his intention. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, I, I actually wonder why he would do it. You know, that, that's pretty much the, the question I'm, I'm laying on to you guys is, you know, I mean, why the would only, I mean, it just comes back to I assume he is serving Griffith's wishes in some capacity or Femto's wishes that this is how it's supposed to be. That I, I mean, you know, Rickert is in some way special just by virtue of who he is and what he's yeah. seen and what he knows. And so he's getting the behind the scenes, you know, look at things. And, you know, rather than easing him in, I think this is more like, you know, like basically pulling the curtain back and shocking him before he talks to Griffith, you know, to be like, you know, hey, man, don't be, uh, don't be surprised when you talk to your buddy if it's not, you know, like old times or anything. Yeah, but why go, you know, all through the trouble, you know? I think um, mm-hmm. my my answer is I think it's it's personal for him. I think he's curious about Rickard. Yeah. Because we said Rickard is unique. And I don't I don't necessarily think he was acting on Femto's orders or anything. I think he just he saw this guy approaching, he identified him as a former Falcon, and he knows that Rickard's not branded. So he's probably yeah. just kind of curious about what this guy's intentions are. I actually agree. It's also what I think. I think it's, uh, yeah. what motivated him, you know, to do this is personal curiosity, you know. And, uh, you know, I think he might even enjoy it, you know, in a bit cruel way, you know, to show this to Rickert and, you know, kind of break, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say break his heart, but, you know, to show him these things and relish in his reaction, you know. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I also agree with that. I think his motivations were personal for this. He – the whole episode, um, Locus's face is almost like stone until this one moment when he's peering over Lickert's shoulder, looking down with his hair kind of falling down. And he has this like glare in his eye. He just – like he's really just eating all this up. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool uh, creepy moment from his expressions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rickert this is, is him at, like, probably his most apostolish, where, you know, when Rickard yeah. just looks like he's scared out of his mind. Yeah. 
I have a Ghostbusters figure that looks like Rickard's face right there. His eyes <laughs> pop the out. eyes pop out. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> the other cool thing, I mean, the other fantastic thing about this episode is, uh, I talked earlier about, you know, we get to understand more about the shape of Falconia and, you know, what Falconia is. Here, you know, last episode, last time we talked about this, the series, we were talking about maybe Falconia will have like a dark side. Maybe Falconia, like maybe the walls will turn black, I think is what we said. We were joking about what might happen to, to represent that dark side of uh, the Griffith and Femto duality. And here it's laid out for us. There is a white place for the humans and you can actually see its ass in the shot as they go on the bridge. Feather. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And then it's totally <laughs> separated by this huge land bridge surrounded by absolutely apparently nothing in this fog yeah, leading by, to leading to Apostle Epcot in the yeah. distance. And <laughs> putting you, something you can, in that back door you, there. You can already tell uh, at this point that there will be a, a big battle on this bridge, you know? Yeah. Like there, there will yeah. be a battle on this bridge. I can guarantee it. The... Well, what, what struck me about this this bridge and this the dome is that the dome is also just perfectly emulating like an eclipse, like yeah. that oh, they're yeah, inside sure. just all the time. It's I pure guess. black. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to point out was as a result of me having you know pure digital uh, scans from Young Animal, uh, the scans we initially got were artifacted. There were little lines on them as a result of the printing process. And I thought, okay, maybe this is that translucent thing we initially had theorized about. But no, it is absolutely 100% pure black reflecting nothing. It is just <laughs> a big black nothingness uh, on the surface of that thing. And Yeah, it just makes you wonder what it's actually made out of. I mean, Who they the go hell through looks like a normal door, but... Uh... Yeah, I, because, I wouldn't call that. I would not call that door normal. That door, that door freaks freaks <laughs> yeah. me the fuck out. It's like it, they didn't walk through like a portal of black sure. translucent goo. <laughs> sure. Well, the, I mean that's the thing though. This fog that surrounds the whole area, I don't know what to make of it. I have a couple ideas, but none of them sound completely solid to me. And well, you know, it's supernatural fog because it's a sure. place. So I mean, they've got a bunch of fog machines down there to make it look cool. Pretty much. Well, that was they've just that was, you know. <laughs> It's, you know, some bits of, you know, giant Ganishka that, you know, really <laughs> fog. I mean, my first thought was apostles emit fog when they transform, and there are a crap load of apostles in that area. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think this is, is this a result of, I don't know, the denizens of that area are emitting this evil fog. But uh, I don't know. It, even that sounds kind of shaky to me. But yeah, either know, way. We can just bullshit it with, like, you know, there's a... An evil aura around the place and, you know, that, you know, creates fog and that's it, you know. And you can even, you know, say, you know, it's because, you know, you know, there's humidity or whatever and sure. that results in that. But yeah, pretty much it's just, you know, a dark and evil place and that yeah. means fog. We get more of this as the episode progresses, but even here you can tell that the architecture suddenly changes across the land bridge from the feathered area, the feathered wings and, uh, such to kind of like leathery bat wings. So uh, it's a perfect representation of the two sides of, of Griffith as we know him. He has the, the God hand side and the human side. Uh, before we move on from the dome, I wanted to point out that uh, I was nerdy enough to kind of plot out around where that bridge would be intersecting with that big, you know, dot or sorry, dome. And obviously we don't know because there's no perspective. There's no order for which we can base a perspective on. 
but it looks like it's going to hit it right towards the base of it, not the center or anything, but like right at the yeah. base of where the circle, the dome is. So yeah. the thing is just huge, and you know, we get another impression of that from unless the door. It's a, unless, unless it's a silo, that's the only <laughs> other explanation. Yeah, and again, I don't have a translation. But yeah, it is interesting yet, but... the idea that it might be like you think it might be floating there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what it's supported by, or or even really what's beyond it or around it. You know, everything yeah. is covered in fog. I mean, we have yeah. to assume based on what we know that that is the entire structure. But that could just be some kind of ornamentation yeah. around which yeah. is a giant building. You know, we don't we know. Are, we actually don't know anything about the building itself. It could be like even a, a hand holding a ball or anything like that. Yeah. That's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, maybe we'll have a a reveal, a shocking reveal of that. What's also interesting is just the fact that, like, you know, it seems to be surrounded by these clouds and darkness. Even though, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a sunny day still. We see that in the uh, yeah, yeah, off scenes, you know. So it's just it's perpetually, you know, sort of dark and dreary and sinister around this dome. Oh, not not just that, but given its proximity to the world spiral tree. We should be able to see some of those limbs across the sky like you can everywhere else in the vicinity of Falconia. They're not there, obviously, because it's just enshrouded by clouds. The whole thing is, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, just based on the little translation I was able to do from the transcription, uh, I think he says that this is basically – I mean I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's the home of the apostles. It's where the apostles live, the the apostle side of Griffith's army. Yeah. But I wonder, and I, I'm assuming it's not, that's not the full extent of what this is. I, I can, I can, maybe that's just my hope. That it's not, and that the explanation is not so simple as apostles hanging out, killing ogres all day. Uh, I'm guessing there's a lot more going on there than that. At yeah. Least I hope so, you know, like, I like mean, I, was, I think that, I think that entails like, this is where the real society is. <laughs> you sure. know, this is the upper echelon <laughs> and this is where we're going to have our, you know, where I don't know. I mean, this looks like it would be a great place to have some ceremonies too. Yeah, you know, it's a, con- it's a convention fighting. center. It's an apostle yeah. convention center. Well, you know, one thing interesting is that uh, you know the way Locus talks about the apostle. He also calls them, you know, gods. You know, he says there's a demon royal god. So, you know, it implies they are not just you know being stored there and you know forgotten or anything like that. They are in- an integral part. You know, or at least they are recognized by Griffiths and by everyone. It's just that pretty much that's their place, and humans don't even dare to, you know, to get near nearby. Yeah, that was the other question I had was, you know, given given the fog, given the you know the supernatural elements around it, I don't know is Rickert maybe one of the first humans to go there? I mean, oh, definitely, I think so. Well, from, okay. from what from what uh, Locus says, it's a uh, you know, he, like he pretty much clearly says that this is a uh, the you know what says the den of the you know demons. Yeah. And, uh, the royal, you know, the normal royal guards, the human soldiers, they are afraid of it and they can't even approach it because they're so afraid of it. So they're afraid of it. Wow. So why do well, they it's probably like a physical fear? I mean, they literally like they're, I mean, it's like imagine how you feel when, you know, there's just an apostle sort of leering over you. Yeah. Like if you just increasingly felt that presence as you walked towards it. But I think you were going to ask, why are they in this city? Exactly. <laughs> So, so this is great that we have walls, but we're kind of sandwiched in between dragons. Yeah, you know, Holy it's the, shit, evil it's dome. It's the bad side of town. It's the wrong side of the tracks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we got a real bad rap. It's like we haven't even eaten anyone that you know of. I'm guessing not many people even know this exists. In, in, that Probably far. not. 
Yeah. Well, Actually. you know, I don't know because after the battle, you know, at least the human soldiers that were there know about it, you know, after the big battle against Ganeshka. And from what Locus says, well, it seems to imply that, you know, the apostles actually have an active part in protecting the people. So mm-hmm. well, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to what extent the general population knows, actually. That's a, that's a good question, you know. It's also extent- interesting to me that they're segregated at all. I mean, seemingly yeah. for everyone's benefit. Like, you know, apostles wouldn't necessarily want to be walking around in this human town where, you know, oh, by the way, you're not allowed to eat anybody. And it's like, well, what the, what's the <laughs> point of this? <laughs> you know, what am I here? I'm not here to buy fruit. So, and, uh, so yeah, it kind of makes sense. And plus, you know, if you're bringing in these refugees to save them from monsters and they come into town and like your, your Walmart welcoming guy is, you know, like Zod, it's like, that's not, <laughs> That's you know, not so, going to feel so good. That's not even the worst, you know. I mean, what about the guy Walter posted, you know, the one that looks like Slimer, you know? <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. Hi, welcome. Price yeah. is one arm or one leg. I'm just imagining <laughs> that Slimer scream from the end of Ghostbusters. Is like, there's your welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it because heretofore, you know, the whole notion uh, being presented was that apostles and humans are suddenly working together. They've crossed that bridge. They've they've bridged the the whole fear of each other, or you know, yeah. food and a predator uh, well, so, the so, problem. So bridge is there, but you know, apparently not many people are crossing it. Yeah, I mean, maybe the apostles. Way. Maybe the whole point is just they don't transform when they're in town. Yeah. Could that could be, be yeah. you know, an aspect. Like, I mean, I'm sure they, you know, obviously locusts and you know the important ones will, you know go into the castle on their business and probably into the town. But, you know, this is where they can, you know, let their hair down, so to speak. I wonder if there's an apostle jail for, you know, mishaps that are, that happen out in the field. (laughs) Or they probably get killed by Zod or something like that, you know, or he just, you know, rips their arm off. Smashes their head, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So we're still as, uh, I mean, we've been wondering about the nature of this dome for, uh, four years, five years or so, and we finally have an answer for it. But it, I still want to know more. I still want to know more yeah. about what it is, what else is happening there. With what else? So one big question: that can't be Griffith's throne room, right? Because then oh, humans yeah. couldn't visit him. You know, it's, it has to be in a palace somewhere. First off, you I know, think he's got two thrones. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, cool. and you know, I don't think that's much of an answer actually regarding the dome. You know, like we see this as a. You know, we see the arena and such, but I think there's more to play than that. And uh, I'm not sure it we'll get like to small, see much more. It actually looks relatively small, the yeah. arena. Yeah, yeah, it, it seems no, to no, be... No, no, I, I wasn't... I certainly am not saying that's the full extent. I'm saying we know the beginning of the answer of what it is. We know it yeah. is where apostles are housed. Before, it yeah. could have been anything. You know, you yeah, could have yeah. walked inside and you're in the, the abyss suddenly, you know, or something like that. True, true. Well, the thing is, yeah, like Griff said, I think... You know, he's got this room where, you know, like the, I don't know, the altar with a really gaudy, you know, falcon statue. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, there must be another throne in that place, you know, one that's, uh, a little more, you know, appropriate with, you know, right. I don't know, fountains of blood or something like that, you know, <laughs> bat wings. Blood yeah. fondue. Sure. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, no. maybe there's a, maybe there's a hand in there. I mean, mm-hmm. there could be that. Could oh, yeah. be a five person throne. So speaking of uh, imagery and you know representative imagery, the door. I spent some time looking at this damn thing, the pattern on it, uh, and 
you know, my first thought was, oh, that has to be representative of something because it does appear to have shapes and forms within it. And there's uh, some faces it looks like, or they kind of appear like faces. I don't think it's anything, though. I, I mean, honestly, yeah. I think it – I don't think – my first thought was the vortex because there are a few things that look like swirls, but it's just – it's all over the place. There's something that looks like an yeah. ear. I mean, it's yeah. just – there's no single thing it represents that makes sense to me. So I don't think it necessarily means I think anything. it's just supposed to be like sort of like – I mean, think of the flesh of the ne- Necronomicon or something. It's yeah. supposed, it looks like this weird organic, yeah. you know, yeah. gobbledygook. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, I think the, the main thing is like, yeah, this organic look. You know, mm-hmm. that's the first thing I thought actually the, the Necronomicon when I saw it or even the, the flesh walls in the hell level of dooms, you know, like, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of stuff that moves. I, I don't, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't think it moves, but who knows? But at least that's how it looks. Yeah. Just some kind of organic, you know, like when some parasit- parasitic, you know, stuff gets on spaceship, you know, in uh, sci-fi, you know, like, I don't know, in fucking dead sure. space or something. That's that's the kind of feel it has. But I don't think it's meant to represent anything other than a, an organic flesh-like, you know, thing. It looks like something you'd want to spray some kind of cleaner, cleaner on. Like <laughs> and why, it that. looks like it would, like, the first layer would wipe off really easy, but there'd be a nasty under layer that would oh, yeah. Off. Yeah, you want to throw that... You need to throw I, that, rag, that rag away after that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd use a frame thrower on that shit, man. <laughs> a rag, you know, you're crazy. It looks like, you know, I don't know. So what's really weird is it opens up into a barn with, like, Isidro's doppelganger in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. The transition. That was a little goofy, I thought. But <laughs> No, actually, I love the transition, but, you know, I think it's really great. But, uh yeah, the Isidro doppelganger is really, uh, you know, it's that really shocked me when I saw the episode. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's really disturbing. Really looks... It's like, you know, even but, if you know he what? didn't realize while he was doing it, like after the fact, like, oh, I got to change him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a shot, I think, you know, the shot and the, and the hair, and that, those two really, you know, the combination, you know, really yeah. amounts to making him look like, you know, Isidro. Yeah, and sure. yeah, it's just that sort of that look of mischief that Isidro sort of always has on his face, one way or another. Yeah, yeah, he could he could be holding a sausage with those hands, like big thing of sausage <laughs> yeah. running away from somebody right now. This is a funny little scene. I know I feel so bad for Daiba, man, someone who basically was the right hand of the emperor, and now he's a stable master who can't even catch up to kids who were tormenting him. You know? Was, yeah, he fell down chasing children. It's like oh, he's just man. an old man. But you know, the so, thing that's interesting is that it paints him in a, in a very nice and warm light, you know, like, yeah. you know, before Daiba was not, you know, like he was, he, he would say he got a bit goofy because, you know, Ganeshka was pretty much constantly, you know, how to say, punishing him, zapping you know, him like, zapping and, him, you know. yeah, pretty much. But, you know, and, you know, I almost felt bad for him as he was trying to reason with, you know, Ganeshka after transformation, but, oh, yeah. you know, he was, he was still evil, you know? He was the evil yeah. guy, you know? The evil fakir or whatever. But now he's just, you know, you know, the nice old gramps, you know, who's like, you know... He's retired. He's, yeah, he's... You know, he's, he's, he's sort of been redeemed through not just, you know... I mean, he's been humbled in a sense, too. Like, yeah. well, he's not, yeah. you know, he's not nasty or mean to these kids, you know, so much as he's like, get out of my barn, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, <laughs> he's, he's protecting them from yeah. being yeah. eaten by Garuda, so... But yeah, he's yeah, been he's been sort of redeemed through being humbled. Yeah, pretty he's, much. So that's interesting. I, I found he's got an interesting story to tell, and if you think about what must be going on in his head, is I think Ganeshka said that Daiba is the one that helped create that uh, that transformation machine. Yeah, so he's the ones that create. I think yeah, he pretty much that's 
He's and he's he, and we he saw engineered it, right? And he's obviously the one that gave uh, Ganeshka the Behirat. So in, in a sense, he's the one that brought about the downfall of his former master, and he probably feels some guilt because of that for from seeing everything that happened from pleading with him to not go in there and the, to see what happened and to see his yeah. master go mad like that. And oh, it's just, it's gotta be, he's gotta be going through some shit right now. And to be brought down to a stable master in the yeah. midst of that, it, it can't be great. And so I, I think he's a different kind of character, but then again, I never really thought of him as evil. I mean, obviously he's involved with some evil shit, but just the way he interacted with guts and everyone I don't know. He was pretty sympathetic, I thought. It's, a, uh, it's, it's just fought. a far cry, though. Yeah, I mean, he was always sort of – it was neat because he was almost a little more objective, you know, in things. Mm-hmm. You know, he would just notice things and, you know, he wasn't kind of a – he was introduced as this sort of ha-ha evil villain. You know, he's like – we just saw him silhouetted, you know, in the – you know, smoking and – uh yeah. And, yeah. you know, tracking their movements. And, you know, it's funny to think of him now. Like, we saw that it, you don't really see, like, Dr. Claw later, like, with his knee brace on and, you know, like, oh, like, yeah. this is killing yeah. me. The so are, it, it really are, is interesting to see him. I'm assuming it's arthritis. Transformation. Because, I'm assuming it's arthritis because of old age or something like that. I yeah, don't think he suffered any specific injury or no. anything. No, it's but, really just old. It's related to his age, yeah. So what's funny about that is if you think about Daiba in your head, what is he doing? Is he standing? Is he walking? No, he's usually floating, levitating, or flying on, you know, Garuda. We've seen him walk before, but for the most part, we've seen him, you know, doing his best to stay off of his feet. And so now he's, of course, forced <laughs> to be on his feet because he's in, you know, hiding, obviously. So it's interesting that he suddenly has leg problems and needs help with that. <laughs> Well, it's also interesting that, you know, the device, uh, Erika gives him is, was originally created for Godot, you know. That's, uh. Oh, did you say that? I must have missed that. That's really cool. Yeah. Rick, Rick had, uh, created him for Godot. Ah, oh, that's uh, awesome. In his, uh, you know, when he was near the end. And so, yeah, that's, that's how she sigs into saying that, uh, Rickard's a great inventor and that her father was also great, you know. He created, you know, a sword that was taller than a man. And so on and on. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I find it uh, neat that you know it's a little take back to Godot, and why we didn't get to see his last, you know, d- few days, weeks, months. I don't know, but you know, I, I, I thought it was neat. Yeah, totally, and it, it's, it's also, also cool it's, that it represents guts. You know, the, the design mirrors yeah. guts arm. You know, the springs and everything. Looks looks cool. He's wearing yeah. the leg version, you know, which actually, when you think about it, like. It could come, it, you know, this is fanciful, but it could come back into play. This could actually save Daiba's life someday. Like, if Guts were to come upon him, recognize him, and grab him, like, ready to smash him, but then see that he's wearing this brace that was clearly made, you know, it, you know, a- after his own, and he would know, you know, he has some sort of connection to Rickard and uh, Erica. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how or if it'll come into play. I, I mean, that's just so, you know, that would be so far in the future. It's, you know. You know, I actually wonder if Guts would, uh, uh, you know, outright uh, charge Daiba if he saw him. You know, I think he would. I think he would dismiss him. You know, <laughs> that that seems very much like Guts <laughs> to just dismiss him. You know, pretty much like he would dismiss Silat as a street performer. You know, <laughs> dismissing Daiba as being old. Then you know, oh, it's you again. You know, yeah. you you don't hey, have that man. snake around this time. Yeah, pretty much. You know. You're What's not going to do any more of those uh, stupid street tricks, are you? <laughs> like, yeah. like when you tried to crush me with a with a, a an ocean of snake. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do you make of Daiba's eyes? I've never really given it any consideration. I'm looking at it on the page. He doesn't have, you know, pupils or irises or the whites of his eyes. It's just all black. Or... Yeah, it feels like his pupils have, you know, just, you know, grown to the marks or something like that. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, Shiruke also sometimes gets these, some, you know, glazed eyes or whatever, like when they're, you know, when she would say her magical, you know, side is emphasized or stuff like that. So it might mm-hmm. be related to that. I mean, I it's something I've always associated sort of with magical sort of, you know, evil characters too. You know, they'll have scary, glossed over, you know, matte eyes with no definition. You know, they just look sort of frightening. It's interesting that he's still got eyes like that, which, you know, before you could have assumed it was something to do with, you know, the magic he was using. And obviously, but judging by his knees, he's not, you know, abusing those powers so much anymore. I wonder if there's an actual physical explanation for his eyes. Maybe he was just born that way or... Well, you know, I, cataracts or, you know, who knows? I, I do think it could be cataract, but, you know, I do think it's related to magic because, you know, if you remember the other guys who, you know, Ganishka used, you know, as, no, yeah. uh, you know, spellcasters or whatever, also had eyes like that. So I think mm. it's, I think it's related to, you know, the practice of magic or at least the way Daiba practices it. But yeah, yeah to, you know, it's, it's hard to know more than that. He could also just be pure evil. And that's <laughs> We're just giving him too much the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> well, like, that, you know, just because I'm nice to kids in barns doesn't mean I'm not an evil guy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Erica here, I, I don't have a translation, I'm just looking at it. It looks like she's basically, um, she's almost like she's hawking Rickard's wares already. She, she's talking about, I mean, I see her mentioning Rickard in this very enthusiastic panel where she has her finger pointed up, you know. I can see her as maybe being like his, like, you know, his front of the counter salesperson while he's working in the back on you know, blacksmith stuff. Oh, yeah. She's selling him. his wares. She's, uh, and, cool. and you know, she's very enthusiastic too, you know, when Daiba, yeah. he gets her to do the chores because, you know, uh, essentially he caught her. So, and, and you know, she's very enthusiastic with it. So he's surprised mm-hmm. because he, all the kids, you know, like don't like to do it, but she brags that, you know, she, she's walked in a forge before. So that kind of stuff is nothing to her. You know, she's used to walking, to hard walk, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it also emphasizes that even though she's, uh, pretty diminutive, you know, we don't know her age, but, uh, she's short and, you know, still looks like a kid, but she's, yeah. you know, She's been working hard her whole life, and uh, so I, I think she's a good counterpart to Rickert, and yeah, she'll probably be a, a big help to him no matter what he ends up doing. Every time I see Mira focusing on Erica or younger characters like this, I just get like the inevitable thought that will we see a time jump? You know, to see these characters so young and to see these details about their lives, I just wonder if we'll see her all grown up, you know, with Rickert. So, I don't well, the thing is, if there's a time jump, uh, I don't think Daiba will be around. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, I don't really... know. I mean, he could he could last either. Yeah, either he's on his last legs or he's gonna last another fifty years. I mean, yeah. So you don't he'll know. Be, he'll be there in a thousand years. Maybe you know, if he saw Skullnight, he'd be like, "Oh, how are you doing, old pal? <laughs> yeah, you know, been a while." Yeah, I got my shave every day. Shit. <laughs> So the coolest part about this whole thing to me is, of course, the way the scene ends when uh, Erica mentions that she knew a man that carried a sword, as, or the, the Rickert or Godo, her, I guess Godo had forged a sword as large as a man, and they're kind of they both, well, both Luca and Daiba connect on that thought, and 
I think they must, they must mention, uh, could it be him? Could it be him? You know, and then they both have this thought. So Guts is connecting all three of these characters. And the question, of course, is t- to what end? Is it mere happenstance that these three characters meet in this way because of there being so many people, you know, crowded together in Falconia? Eventually, some that have encountered Guts would meet like this? Or is it something else at work? You know, we've seen coincidences usually have a sinister element to them in Berserk, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. So it strikes me as strange that this happened in this way. Well, you know, it seems to be, yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, like Guts has, he has met people and I guess now with Falconia and the way the world is, it, it is a small world now, you know, so I think mm, it's not yeah. that surprising. I think it's not that surprising. You know, the, the more surprising thing to me is that Daiba and Luca ended up uh, together. But, you know, when you think about it, uh, Luca's group had uh, a lot of familiarity with supernatural events and monsters. So they are likely to be more, how to say, tolerant and, you know, you know, like regarding the Garuda, you know, you know who mm-hmm. else in, you know, Falconia would, you know, allow a guy like Daiba to keep that? So these girls, you know, because of their experience, you know, they were more likely to do that. And, you know, so Daiba ended up with them. And because uh, Luca and her girls are, you know, managing a, a Nin or a refugee camp or whatever, you know, so I think all these things are, you know, can be explained without necessarily a lot of, you know, uh, scheming, you know. Uh, and um, I don't think it's necessarily like, I, I doubt there will be an immediate, you know, uh, result to this, you know. For the big be. coalition of the resistance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think I think there will be some support from this group of people to towards guts and you know something like that in the long run. But right now, it's just the beginning. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. well, what's interesting yeah, yeah. is how they're connected through guts, but that in this you know strange way, Griffith has also brought them together. All these yeah. people that Guts has touched. It's weird that you can sort of, you know, both of them have brought these people together in a weird way. Well, it's a conflict that, you know, essentially has touched the whole world that we've seen. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that, you know, and I, I think it will be the same with the Bakiraka. You know, eventually, you know, Silat will be like, you know, you know, will come into contact with in such a thing. And his past with Guts will rest of face and... You know, who knows, maybe other characters, but the thing is, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think we've reached a point where the story is starting to converge, where all the parts, you know, previous arcs and such, we maybe play a role, you know, going forward, you know, in such a way. So that yeah. will be interesting to see. That wraps up that section, uh, and we move on to the inside of the arena, beyond the doors that Rickard and Lucas were walking through. <clears throat> I think Miura really likes Volkov, honestly. <laughs> He just and seems to insert him. He just yeah. inserts him wherever he can recently in the past couple of years anyway. He's just fucking – I mean don't get me wrong. He misses too. He's yeah. like, let's get it. Let's work <laughs> sure. a wrestling match into this. Let's work a gladiatorial section in there. I just yeah. like I just like Volkov's face most of all. I mean I really wonder what it looks like as a human. You can almost see it. He, but yeah. He sounds like – he looks like he just sounds like all the time like – That's the noise he would make at all times. You know, I actually think he's pretty great, honestly. And I think it's the first time we get to see such a detailed shot of him. You know, like the two-page spread where he's first charging the ogre, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we get to see a really detailed look of, you know, him and his tail. And, you know, he's got a bit of a ridiculous shape to his body, I, I got to admit. But I don't uh, know. Yeah. I, I really like the guy, actually. You know, he's really, you know, he's like the, you know, the 
perfect average apostle, you know, just big, <laughs> and, big and strong and dumb, you know, with a big mouth. Ugly. Yeah, yeah, dumb look. You know, I, what I love the most in this fight is that he gets, you know, sm- you know, smacked on on the face, you know, like you know, with the by, by yeah. the ogre. I, I saw, I thought that was great. His face, you know, bleeding. His look on his face, it's fucking great. I loved it. There's something really goofy, really goofy about yeah. apostles sitting down in a line. There's just something really weird <laughs> about it. Like, I mean, are they eating like bloody popcorn? At this, I mean, it just <laughs> yeah. really looks weird, weird to me. That that the long shot with the uh, page where Rickard's saying Korewa. Uh, they're just all sitting around like it's like a I don't know. It's just it's, well, it's strange, Stephen. They're in this the, context. They're at the ball game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it out, man. You know, it's also what I said. You know, uh, you know, in the thread is, you know, it's a two in one thing for them. They get to watch the game, and after that, they get to eat the fucking you know dead auger. You know, like you can see there's a carcass yeah. of a yeah, dead. The, the you bones know. over on the side. Yeah. And pretty much, you know, like, you know, you get to fight and kill one and then you fucking hit it. And uh, I think that's pretty much the thing is they all look at this shit and then they fucking get, you know, to the fist. So it's, yeah. you know, I don't know if somehow I actually find it very fitting of for apostles, you know, like that's the kind. If apostles could, you know, live together in a early life, what would they do? Just fight stuff and, and eat and just, you know, maybe rape as well, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, so the next step here is like, oh, the the jail is overflowing. So here you go, apostles. We happen <laughs> to have some spare humans for you. So do as you will. And then you just go well, to town. Yeah, well, I don't know. Actually, I wonder if uh, – I wonder how the law is you know, enforced. But yeah, I, I did imagine you know, criminals just yeah. you know, go away. Just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing Azili noted in the thread, and it's certainly worth mentioning, is the doorway we saw coming into the scene before the transition to Erica and Daibo was much larger than the door we see them coming through later. So it's implied that the door we're seeing now in the arena is merely, you know, another entrance after they entered the main door. Yeah. So there was some kind of editing that happened, you know. Of course, and there's, you know, but the thing is, we cut to Erica. So during that segment, it implies uh, Rickard and Locust travel. And there's also a thing you, you yourself, you know, pointed out earlier in the podcast that the bridge seems to, you know, uh, lead to the bottom of the structure, assuming it's the sphere. And, you know, they go up from up, you know, the arena to, you know, the bottom. So it would imply, you know, at least that, you know, uh, it's a different point inside the sphere. Un- yeah. You know, unless, you know, uh, I guess this is a very, very bottom of the sphere, which could also be the case. I don't know. But in any case, yeah, I'm pretty sure they traveled, you know. Yeah, uh, there are, it is below where they're entering. Yeah. The only What's also thing interesting that- is that door they come through. I really love the architecture. Like, just the, he really goes to town with the bat wings and, you know, the. Yeah, what looks like almost like tails curling around or something. I mean, I can't really see it. Clearly. Yeah, it could be. But, you know, it's something that could be from fucking Castlevania. You know. Yeah. Like you know, Dracula's castle. You know, <laughs> there's you know bat wings at the top, and yeah, some kind of pillar. You know, what's interesting is that it's the same design. You know, I mean, the general you know design as you know in uh, Falconia. You know, the human parts. You know, with the feathers. You know, feathered pillars and stuff. The, but here is. It's the overlapping design. It's just yeah. different. Yeah. 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 Here is the evil version, you know, it's like the inverse sure. castle. So yeah. 
the one thing that threw me off, and I initially argued with Uaziel over the transition between doorways, was uh, if you go back to look at the main door as the door opens, you know, but right before it opens, at the very top, you see those back bat wings overlaying. You see that similar design element, those sharp edges, kind of like I don't know what to call them. I don't know what the architectural name for them is, but it's it's what? above that motif with the wings, and you see that again in the arena in the explicit yeah. design, you know, the similarity. They're crenellated, but you know what they remind me of actually? Barbed wire, you know, uh, barbed sure. wire, but the, the kind that doesn't just stick, but also cuts, you know, it's what the military uses. Mm. So this is, you know, I think that's what Murat's model did after. So that implies, uh, you know, like, you know, you can see there's three, you know, two or three, uh, ranged of it, you know, around the arena. So mm-hmm. if anything tries to get over it, that get, you know, I mean, just, you know, cut yeah. right through their arms. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. It's a it's a line of defense that again is reminiscent of the rest of Falconia, but you know, like it's a step, you know, further, you know, in the evil and you know, ominous, you know, and more efficient, I guess. It's really just, I mean, focusing on what you just said, just looking at this two page shot out of them as the arena circles around, just so much detail, so much thought into the design of Falconia, and even just this little crevice of Falconia. Just crazy, the amount of detail, the amount of thought that went into producing this. It's really just a, honestly, it's like a treat to yeah. see what Mir has been laboring over all these years. It's crazy, all the things happening here. I'm just staring at the little indentations in the walls, you know, of the arena, yeah. like, you know, just little yeah. details like that all over. It's really crazy. And I like the gate that comes down with the spikes, you know, that like either they're just going, you know, out to the sides or maybe they even twist all the way around the the gate, Mm -hmm. the one inside the arena. And above that, that motif of the wings. And what's the first thing you think of when you look at that? You know, I mean, it's volume 13. It's like what we saw with the, yeah, with the eclipse. And also we saw the similar thing with the feathers. It's the same motif, basically. With the the spears on top. Uh, you know, in addition to, I, mean, I don't know what what Locus is saying to Rickard, but I'm assuming he's continuing his spiel about the rationalization of this is what we do, this is what we like. Um, <laughs> as, this is utopia. Uh, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he explained to him that you know, well, it's what I said in the summary. You know, there, there are demon soldiers, they are generally you know aggressive. You know that their behavior. That they transport all the monsters they capture inside of the castle, and you know that it could be said that they are always training for battle by capturing and bring monsters there, and you know fighting them. But the truth is, they just you know hunger for for blood and slaughter. You know that's just you know what they want. Mm-hmm. So Rickard says it's like a, a scene from hell. But <clears throat> uh, Locus, you know, emphasizes that they are the the talent of the you know falcon. You know. So they they are you know keys you know well you know like I think the metaphor is you know self sufficient but you know yeah he said there's a talent of the falcon and uh, that they were originally human you know that kind of stuff you know blah 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 it's interesting that Rickert actually says that Griffith sacrificed you know well he doesn't say sacrificed exactly but yeah he implies he sacrificed the band of the falcon to get these monsters mm-hmm. and Locus doesn't deny it he just you know moves on saying you know that you know. They were men, you know, once, and they were reborn through, you know, their tenacity and, you know, through causality, that, that kind of stuff. If guts were there, I'd be like, monster, shouldn't <laughs> pretend to be tenacious. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, it's interesting because he implies, you know, that it, it took a very, you know, intense will to live 
for them to, you know, be reborn. But, you know, he kind of, you know, skips over the details, you know, like the fact yeah, they sacrificed, you know. you know, what was dear to them. That kind it of makes stuff. it so, sound very noble. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you know, they really fought. They had a strong will to live. So if you've met a few of these guys, you realize, you know, I don't know if their will to live was all it's cracked up to be. I don't know if it's yeah, so great. Pretty much. <laughs> Not the also, kind you write poetry about. <laughs> also, pretty much everyone in this room destroyed, just in ate and devoured your friends. So <laughs> yeah. you know, let's just let's just brush that aside. Let's move on to happy stuff. Griffith brought us together, over it. and that's why it's great, you know. Yeah, what's uh, interesting is he does, you know, uh emphasize the fact that you know, without Griffiths, they would be like enemies yeah, of monsters. the human world, you know, monsters set apart and feared and that kind of stuff. But that, you know, the Falcon of Light, Griffiths, you know, has made them into a sword. You know, it, it, you know, even the, you know, I found the wording interesting, you know, it reminds me of Casca, you know, what Casca yeah. used to say to Guts. I thought you know? of her too. Yeah, you know, that he made them into a sword, that kind of stuff. It's very interesting. And, uh, well, yeah, he emphasizes that, you know, it's thanks to Griffiths, you know, all is, you know, great, and the Falcon of Light is great, and Falcon is great. So that's, perfect utopia. <laughs> that's, to me, the big question this episode is, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to word it properly, but essentially, the veracity of what, you, what he's pitching. You know, do you think Logos believes what he's saying, or is this some kind of marketing pitch for, uh, for Rickard's benefit? I, I think he does. I think it's Honest. sort of the idea – I think it falls into the idea like are the god hand, you know, are they lying about the things that they're saying or do they believe it is for the best, you know? Hmm. We've Honestly, had this debate before. I think Locus is, you know, I I think he's being, you know, cynic here. I mean I, I, I don't know. I don't think he buys it. It's too big to me, you know? Do you think he's just sort of parroting the company line almost like sarcastically? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a bit of cynicism in, yeah, you know, he knows, you know, like, you know, when he tells, you know, like, you know, even though we can't have battles, at least there's no battle between humans, you know, like this guy gives a shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, like humans only will source to protect other humans. I, I don't know. I, he doesn't seem sincere to me, you know, even mm. what he says about we can't avoid death, but people are not afraid of death anymore. Because they have seen that the soul is immortal, you know, like this guy knows, you know, where the souls go after death, you know. So I don't know. It all seems to to me to be very, like, there's no question that this prophets the good hand and the apostles more than the other humans. And when you see Rabban's, you know, opinion on it, it's you know very telling. Like you know, to him, the time of battles between humans was a lesser, you know, how to say. It was not as bad as now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Falconia is the last ba- bastion for humans. And so in that regard, it's great. But, you know, he's still nostalgic for the old days, you know? But where, if, you, you know, if you knew that, you know, the person who was your big protector here was also the one that put you in this situation, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not as great anymore. And that's the reality. Yeah, pretty much. So I, I think this is really, you know, I think Locus is not being completely sincere here i think he's yeah he's he's giving the you know party line to Rickert. you know Hmm. i don't know i guess i read his character differently i've always seen him as you know not like a zealous believer but but a true believer like you know he is a you know a faithful follower of the falcon and you know i i agree with that but i i think how to say i think he's more you know 
Like, you know, you know, just this, you know, whole thing is not he's, made. He's to... giving Rickert the human cell. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, you know, there's a true reason for this and it's not to create a utopia for, you know, humans so that normal humans can live perfectly happy lives. Yeah. That's, that's just bullshit, you know. Because the other reading could be like, hey, the alternative is we could just be eating you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, so this is this is a pretty good deal for you. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Locust is in at least, you know, to some, you know, extent, uh, you know, in the real, you know, what's really, you know, going on here. And I don't think he's being forthcoming with Rickert, you know, in that regard. It actually brings up a good point, everything you guys are saying about uh, what Locus, as merely an apostle, truly knows about the, the full scope of things. Because, you know, if you buy that he is being forthcoming here, he doesn't probably know why things are happening. And this is his rationalization for why things happened the way they did, that Griffith has given apostles a reason to exist, and he's, he's made peace for humans among among the, their race and their species. But maybe that's to him the end, whereas what? it's more than likely that's merely the beginning of a grander plan. You know, well, you know, it it could be, but to me that would mean he's not very, you know, not very smart, I guess. But you no, know, I I always think, you know. As far as Apostles goes, the ones that probably knows the most would be Zod, you know. He's the one that's most, you know, astute as to what's going on and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but, you know, still, I think, you know, if Locus really believes this, you know, it's possible. Honestly, it's possible. But I guess I would be a bit, you know, disappointed in his, you know, uh, you know, how to say, foresight. <clears throat> yeah, sure. Or his um, ability to grasp what's happening. Perceptiveness. Yeah. So, and I mean, <clears throat> we know Griffith disseminates this, you know, through his sort of oracle type means, you know, to the apostles. I mean, they probably know what they're supposed to do, if not oh, yeah. what the true purpose of it on a grander level. Yeah, there's, I, a, newslet- I, there's, there's a newsletter. <laughs> they get to the dreams, you know, the monthly dreams. Yeah. What's also interesting, I think he believes when he says, like, you know, his sort of noble take on becoming an apostle, you know, and like, you know, you have to have the extreme will to live because he was this noble, you know, knight who fought in these games. And he probably did, you know, have like an, an unfortunate demise where he did transcend it. But it's like, hey, have you met the pig apostle guy? I don't think he had. <laughs> I don't think he was, you know, a oh, noble that- guy who was transcending his will to live was not, you know. <laughs> That's true. He's, he's, right? sort of, he's, he's just gross. He just wanted to, you know, eat people. <laughs> you know, I, even I that think... though. I mean, I think even even his pitch here accounts for assholes like that because he's saying they're monsters, but they were pulled into a purpose by Griffith. So yeah. it accounts for even the worst of the of their kind. Yeah. Well, that's where guts, you know, would be needed, you know, to remind him that he's just a fucking monster and he shouldn't try to pretend otherwise. Sure. Well, and I guess another weird connection you could put that to guts is if you're just looking at like looking at survivability, like even if these guys are literally in the you know figuratively and then literally like pigs, they really did not want to die. You know, they weren't. You know, a lot of people probably they just sort of give up or they you know they pass or they know they're going to die and they make their peace with it. But these guys, you know, whatever they were holding on to, whether it was something valiant or they were just you know that you know cowardly and you know lustful for more life you know and obviously you know chosen by fate for that purpose you know they wanted to hang on and there's a parallel there with guts yeah where he sort of fits into that and where they could you know where locust could say to him you know you're not so different you know the way you go about your business there are many times where you could have died 
and maybe it would have been easier and better, you know, if you had died. But you know, here you are. Yeah. That being said, we, we we've seen gods, you know. I mean, almost let go, you know. I'm thinking about, you know, within the sea god, you know, when he was just, you know, about yeah. to drown, you know, within the blood, you know, before the the boy came to the rescue, you know. I don't know. I wonder who would react actually compared to these guys, you know, these guys who are ready to do anything to live. Well, yeah, I don't think he would be as like, oh, I'll do anything to live. Like, that's, that's the thing. That's like what he doesn't tell Rickard, you know, with this apostle story. Yeah. Like, yeah I'll, I'll kill, I'll kill, I'll <laughs> sacrifice everyone in my family if I can I'll just kill my mommy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can take them all. <laughs> yeah, that is, that of course is the glaring hole in the whole pitch is, is the nature of, of what apostles are and, and, and the contract by which they came <laughs> to, to be like, what they are. What does it mean that they really wanted to live? Like, you know, that their will to live was so great. Yeah. Well, you know, that was a, that was up. a, that was a contract I had to sign <laughs> yeah. here and oh boy, you don't want to see the fine print. Um, <clears throat> the, I, I should have mentioned this during the architectural part, but the way the whole city is segregated like this, Humans on one side and apostles on the other. You know, they're not necessarily commingling. You know, we've known this for a long time, but it does to me kind of emphasize, uh, the realization of the prophecy. And we've known this since, since Griffith came back, but, uh, the master of the sinful black sheep and the, and the blind white sheep, you know, and here they are, sinful black sheep just fucking living it up in their own little quadrant where all the humans live on the front side, literally blind to what's happening behind them, you know. And of course, that's the ushering in of the age of darkness, which, uh, you wouldn't believe is an age of darkness if you read anywhere else on the internet, because everyone else seems to be convinced, well, everything seems to be fucking great. So I guess the prophecy was just wrong and that Griffith really is repentant for what he did. Well, you know, as, uh, Locus, you know, implied to Rickert, you know, he probably shouldn't expect Griffiths to, you know, tear up, you know, recounting. Oh, yeah, he's not going to put his, his head in his head. Like, oh, I'm I have no choice. <laughs> I did wrong. It was false a dream. <laughs> I miss Gaston the most. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, um, I do wonder if what we've seen, what Rickert has seen in this episode, truly will have any effect on his allegiance. You know, because we we already never foresaw him as 100% Griffith's man. You know, that just wasn't going to happen because of his relationship yeah. with Guts and all that stuff. That just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And now that he has this on his table as well, uh, I mean, I don't think it necessarily changes what we uh, what we predicted his disposition would be towards Griffith. It just makes him even more wary of this this man yeah. that he once knew, you know? You no, know, I think yeah. it's, uh, it's obvious he'll stay in Falconia because he doesn't he doesn't have any of those choice. Sure. you got to think uh, America. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it, you know, it just reinforces the fact he'll be cautious and, you know, like now he could have, you know, been walking the city and, you know, been a bit worried. So just think now he's aware of what's going on inside the building. So, you know, between Daiba and Luca, you know, putting two and two together regarding, you know, his relationship with Guts and what he's seen here that seeds, you know, uh, plants the seed of, you know, uh, future developments where, you know, like this group of people, Daiba, Rickert, Luca, who knows who else, they are not blind to what's going on. And, uh, you know, Rickert even knows actually, you know, a bit about 
who and what Rick, uh, Griffith is. So I think this, you know, prepares us for future developments. You know, maybe not a resistance within the city, but, you know, at least a group of citizens that, you know, are not, you know, completely eating up the propaganda, yeah. you know. But at the same time, I could also see Rickert, you know, sort of falling in line and like sort of believing what Locus is saying in the sense that, you know, what choice do we have? You know, I could even see him like if he was talking to Guts about it, saying, first of all, you know, I love you, buddy, but there's there's just no way you can take all these guys down. And also, if you do, where does that leave us in the world? I mean, are we just going to be eaten by ogres and, you know, everything? Like, if he actually sort of buys what uh, what Locus is saying is where it's like, you know, however we got here, we're your, we're your protection. So, yeah, think... you know, we're necessary. So, I mean, I could see it that way. Of course, Guts responds to well, we'll just have to kill them all then. <laughs> you know? But, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, man, I want to see that. I want to see that movie where that guy gets yeah, where it's, guts. You know, it's like, where would they, if without Griffith, you know, they would just be monsters and we'd be preyed upon by other monsters. So it's like, yeah, well, I'll kill them too. So... <laughs> Well, the thing is, I don't think Rickard is necessarily go- going to be thinking about guts right away. You know, guts is far, and you know, I mean, here is here, and you know, I just meant you know, if he met him again, and they, you know, and like yeah, guts yeah. had some plans, obviously, for you know, some was sowing some seeds of rebellion. Rickard might, you know, at least give well, him like a a warning, like, well, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> like, I I, th- I think you know, uh, the way I see things is the situation will evolve between now yeah. and the time guts will. Arrive in Falconia if you know uh, it should happen. So maybe that dome is going to open up a little more frequently. <laughs> People are going to start st- <laughs> some apostles drunk on ogre blood will come wandering out and there'll be incidents. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I think hey, whatever you know, happened to that guy who got caught for uh, shoplifting? You no, know, they <laughs> took him to the dome. He hasn't come back. What about that jaywalking girl? Yeah, she disappeared too. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. I kind of exhaust my, exhausted my notes for this section. I've uh, only got one question for the future, the big shocker. Okay. You know, next time cliffhanger. Will – okay, well, you certainly think he's going to meet Griffith, but will Rickard also meet Femto face-to-face if they're really going to show him everything? That's a good question. You know, first, you know, I would ask – where is Rickard going to meet Griffith? Is he going to go back to the light side yeah. or – are they going to meet within the... Or is Griffith going to... I, at this point, was sort of assuming Griffith was going to, you know, almost, I don't know, not intervene, but, you know, like, whatever Rickard is doing in there, maybe he'll even be getting, you know, freaked out, and that's when, you know, Griffith might show up. Or maybe... Yeah. to calm him. I was going to say, I mean, the, the immediate thing that could happen is... You know, they just brought a human into the arena. Maybe they're going to like, so I smell human. Well, yeah, things, oh. things could get out of hand and Griffith will have to intervene in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, that well was you know, when you were saying uh, Erica could help him be, you know, like be her, uh, his salesperson and help him out with his future endeavors. I immediately thought of him being thrown in the middle of that ring and like, no, nah, I don't think she can help him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, Locus is there. So I doubt, you know, yeah. the rabble, you know, would try to, I mean, remember what happened in the forest with Mule and Sonia? That was pretty funny. So I think <laughs> it's the same kind of deal here. A simple glance from Locus will, you know, uh, Jose cool down the patience of the others. But I can but, definitely see Rickert having a reaction, though, anyway, just where he starts. I mean, having a panic attack or something, just, you know, yeah. not knowing what to do in that place. I well, mean, even, even if it's something as simple as them turning their gaze to him because they sense <laughs> him, you know? Yeah. 
I, I think, you know, the way I thought was maybe, you know, they leave the arena and, you know, travel to some other place. And like after the ceremony with the souls and stuff, Griffiths would retire to the dome, you know, like, you know, go yeah. there to hang out and that's where they would meet. Yeah. I thought that might be a possibility. So, yeah. you know, that would be interesting. And yeah, if it happens that way, of course, the probability of, you know, seeing some of Femto would be higher. But, you know, I, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure. I'm not I sure. Th- I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure it's even necessary. You know, I think, you know, after that warning from <laughs> Locus, uh, Griffiths could just say, oh, yeah, it was nice. He could be the time. good cop at this point. Yeah. Now. He could, could just say, oh, that time we had, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, the others, they, they lived through my dream. Look at this utopia, it's what we fought for. You know, he could give, his, give him this bullshit <laughs> line. looks over and sees, like, ogre belly hanging out guts. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks, it flies on it. <laughs> like, yeah, it looks great. That so, was, that was the, my, my takeaway from this episode as well, with thinking about how Griffith, what their interaction might be. And like he basically Rickert has a founding stake in this company that Griffith has built. You know, he was there before all these other people were here. He's the last remnant, the last person that wasn't branded that was part of the original Falcons. And so this is what they fought for. This is what they fought and, and shed blood for all those years. And well, that would know, be kind of the pitch. The thing is, in every big company, there's always a founding member who gets fucked over, you know? That's <laughs> guts, I, man. That's guts' story. <laughs> Why, well, you know? Yeah. Guts is uh, uh, Paul Allen of Microsoft, you know? Yeah. <laughs> guts is Andrew Garfield from The Social Network. <laughs> so I just – I kind of wondered if maybe because on the pretense of, you know, you were important to me way back then – Maybe he'll give him some kind of like grand status, but Rickert will request to be a humble blacksmith or something like that. I can just see that fitting with his character. If that oh, I mean, it case. is a, it is like, it's in, I mean, it, it's not like it really matters to anybody because I mean, who is Griffith trying to win over or convince? But it's like, it's almost like good PR to have like, oh, look, it's an original member of the band of the Hawks, you know, yeah. like for all of you wondering if I'm human. You know, <laughs> would this guy hang out with me if I wasn't, you know, a great guy? <laughs> As he has the face only, he's like, his, his eyes are bulging like in this episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's basically, you know, he's, he has to hold up the newspaper, you know, I'm, they're, they're treating me well. <laughs> yeah. I am enjoying my stay in the dome. Yeah. Well, PR hostage. Propaganda. He could make him, uh, you know, like give him a rank equal to that of Locus. That would be pretty funny. It's <laughs> right. a horrible up? mistake. What's up? <laughs> oh, those latrines need to clean him, Locus. I don't know, man. There's a possible. You can't have original member uh, Rickert do it. It's he's too prestigious. He's too important to you know the propaganda operation. His hands so. are really important for his blacksmith work. You're gonna have to go in there and scrub. <laughs> All right, that's a fun. Fun way to end the episode. I didn't have much more to say. Um, it comes back in just under a month from now. Well, I say just under, I'm guessing. Uh, September is the target. So it could be any time in there. Uh, I'm guessing late September, just, you know, knowing Mira. So we'll see. Do we have anything else for the show, guys? I didn't really chart anything else. Do you else. have the, uh, the user questions? Oh, thanks for reminding me. Yes. Yeah. Let me pull those up real quick. All right. You guys ready? All right. I'm muting. Cool. Yep. Hello, Skull Knight. Congratulations on hitting 50 episodes for the podcast. My question is, what is your favorite episode in the Berserk manga if you had to pick just one? Thanks again. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, favorite, that's favorite a episode. killer question. <laughs> My it's God. Pretty, it's pretty brutal, I agree. Whenever I... I mean, I, I heard this a couple of days ago. So, it's to me, it's 
it's it's really easy. I mean, that's not really. That's not even true. It's difficult even to pick a favorite volume. So narrowing it down even further to an episode. So to me, the question is more favorite moment. And I've answered that question before. And to me, I mean, I don't even have to think about it. I think about the scene and it still gives me chills. And that is when Griffith makes a sacrifice. That whole scenario, the lead up, the build up, his line delivery to gut, seeing the hand close and the expression on his face, that whole thing is by far my favorite moment in the series. So that's my episode. I don't even know the number. I think I would guess like 80 something. I don't really know off the top of my head, but that's mine probably. Yeah, it's definitely in there. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been racking my brain while you were uh, giving yours and I just, I can't even narrow it down to one thing. But uh, the episode that came to mind as I was hearing the question was just, even though it's not, but it was the last episode because I can't think of a single episode that was more sort of, you know, aggrandized by itself. So, I mean, that's the one that popped to mind is like just a, the significant episode that people were going after. One that wasn't, you know, thought of in terms of, you know, moments or in the context of a larger volume. Yeah, you know, well, it's uh, I'm a bit like uh, like like Griff, you know, it's it's very hard to choose. You know, I, I couldn't narrow it down, but for the sake of, you know, the game, I'm going to say... I'm gonna limit it to two. It's either uh, 37, which is the episode uh, where the Skull Knight <laughs> first appears. Well, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just think I that you've got like the numbers off the top of your head. Well, uh, you it, know, it's a hard question, but it's either 37 or. <laughs> yeah, well, in that case, yeah, it's you know uh, either 37 or 204, which is uh, when uh, the Skull Knight, uh, you know, attacks Femto, and you know. He redirects the heat and, you know, Ganishka blows up and that really blew, you know, uh, blew yeah. my mind away at the time. So, uh, but the thing is, honestly, there's so many great ones that it's not, you know, like I, I can't really choose. But yeah, those two are, are great. But, you know, then again, there's so many great ones, uh, you know, it's a, it's an impossible question. It's yeah. a, it's a kind of question where you kind of just have to go by feeling because if you start categorizing it like yeah, well in terms of story reveal in terms of character in terms of action I mean there's so many different ways so I just shot it from the hit by feeling and so because my yeah. favorite moments in episodes and I probably couldn't even remember what episode it's from it's just probably moments of like guts talking to somebody you know mm -hmm. I mean that's the it, what it comes down to it's just you know that kind of characterization but it doesn't jump out at you as like an episode or for construction. You know what it would be? It would probably be one of the bigger episodes, like, you know, like the first, you know, the Black Swordsman episode. Cause I mean, those had yeah. their own little arcs, basically, where it like told a story. Yeah. So, I mean. Quantity I, over quantity is what you're going for then. You're just well, also just sort of, of completeness, of like an episode that like, you know, tells a self-contained story. Sure. Yeah. And those are pretty fucking cool. I mean, like, yeah. you take the Black Swordsman. It introduces so many things. Like, you know, I, I actually hesitated, you know, to nominate these because, like, yeah, first it's cheating a bit because there's so much, but also you get to see so many things. Yeah. It's really, it's really fucking cool. So it's a yeah. microcosm of the series. So it's like, it's really a cool way to, it, I mean, it's what started everything. So it's sort of, I don't know. That one's a good idea. But what else? My, my runner up was, I don't know the number, but it's uh, Godot's talk with Guts. I'm oh, Nick and the, yeah. Nick and the sword. That was the other yeah, one that course. really jumped out of me. Is I really gravitate towards that emotionally. No, I wish I'd thought of that. But, uh, yeah, also I agree with, uh, as just, uh, the episode where, 
the whole just the whole event with Ganeshka and when Femto appears and then Skull Knight appears and like you know I could nominate that two page spread when we got it early as being oh, like God, my yeah. favorite my favorite reveal ever. Yeah. Probably like, I think same I like, here, yeah. Yeah, I liked I think I liked the spread even more than when, you know, the episode game was like, Oh, okay, now I can see what else is happening. But just the significance of everything that was happening in that two page yeah. spread was, you know, like, oh my god, I'm this is like the end times. The world we lived in between the time that we saw that picture and the episode came out was pretty wild. Yeah, that was awesome. We'll go on to the next question. It is two minutes from Obery. Hey guys, uh, Obery here. Um, first, let me just say congratulations on the 50 podcasts, um, or the Skullcast, rather. Um, I think they're awesome. I think you guys are doing a great job, and it's one of the best features that the site has. And uh, when a new uh, episode comes out, um, having a Skullcast follow is just the cherry on top. So, uh, yeah, keep it going, guys. And um, and I, I do have a question. I don't know if you guys have discussed it before, so uh, if so, forget it. But um, I guess uh, I was wondering if you guys could speculate or discuss the Vandemillion family and uh, the city of Vertanis, um in the uh, post-Fantasia world, because um, obviously nowhere is really safe now, except for Falconia, but... Um, a city like Vertanis is was is massive and uh, it's pretty well fortified. So, do you think that there's still a population there? Do you think uh, do you think there's do you think uh, our characters will ever return there? Um, and uh, and yeah, like I said, the Vandemillion family. I don't I I don't recall the last when the last time we saw them. I think it was uh, when Griffith was defending their city. Um, so, do you think that they've sided with Griffith? Are they in Falconia now or? Um, are they still in Vertanis, or, you know, whatever happened with them? And, um, obviously down the road, if we ever do see them again, um, you know, Farnese, uh, returning with Guts, perhaps, um, if they have sided with Griffith, that could be some major conflict there. So, uh, yeah, I guess just some general discussion about that. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. So, congratulations, and thank you. Okay. Wow, again. Thanks. Wow. Yep. That is, uh, I, I felt like I'm back in college. I just I feel like I have to write a paper on this, <laughs> like the family and Britannis. That, that's a, actually that's a very interesting question. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I got. Uh, I spent some time thinking about it as well as I was listening to it. And... I mean, the I'll go ahead since cool. sure. the short answer is I think yes, he's, they're definitely with Griffith. I mean, they were with they were sort of already hooked up with him in Britannis with that party. I assume they were traveling, you know, with that larger party as it moved towards. Uh, the capital as Griffith moved his army out there. You know, I think there are I think there are several possibilities for this. Uh, one is that I, I'm I'm not sure they were with uh, the troops that traveled uh, to retake uh, Windham. I think that was purely a Midlandian uh, thing, and I think they hmm. probably stayed back. But with a new world, of course, you know things have changed. So I think either they all, you know, there, I, I see three possibilities. First one. The city was destroyed, and uh, if we ever see it again, it will be ruins to, how to say, maybe even overtaken by nature, you know, to show uh, how the world has changed. So, you know, uh, in, within that possibility, either, you know, all the inhabitants of Ritanis died, or they moved and went to Falconia. 
in which case it would be interesting to see uh, the Van Damian family and uh, maybe other nobles from other countries see their interaction within uh, Falconia. Actually, I, I would be interesting to see that uh, in any case. And the other possibility is that they've actually held on and uh, you know fortified the city further and are, are, are kind of trying to live on their own. And that would be. Uh, a good opportunity to see how other people, you know, outside of Falconia can, uh, you know, hold up against uh, the world. But, you know, I'm not convinced because given all the things we see, you know, like there's dragons and even stuff coming from the sea. So it would be probably very difficult for, you know, humans without supernatural protection to, you know, be able to, you know, hold up against uh, these odds. But, you know, yeah, either way it would be interesting. But that's what I think. Those are the possibilities I can think of. I think the fate of the city itself for Tannis is, is not, I mean, it's kind of not even a blip on my radar because though it was well fortified, those were for human fortifications against human opponents. So a dragon would knock that out in three seconds, you know, it's just a long fortified wall. I mean, so. Oh, he, he wouldn't even need to, and like, he'd sing, it would fly. Yeah, and just yeah burn of course. Um, that's what I mean. It isn't, it isn't really, basically the defenses have no bearing on the new world. And yeah. that goes for all, that goes for all human cities. That's why when I said that, Civilization itself has changed as a result of fortifications no longer have any bearing. But to me, the more interesting question is what happened to Federico Vendimian, the, the, the head of the household, the man who basically held all these countries in the palm of his hand with the banking yeah. and the, through the control of the church and all that stuff. So I'm, I doubt money serves much of a purpose anymore. I doubt there's a central holding authority for money. I'm guessing that has warped itself. But I'm, I'm, he seems a pretty pragmatic, smart kind of guy. I'm sure he'll yeah. figure out a way you know, to live in this new world. If I know. remember correctly, wasn't he eventually forced with the, you know, because he was actually, I think, if I remember, leading, you know, sort of a smart, you know, little technical resistance against Griffith, you know, taking yeah. over and having dominion over them. And the Pope kind of, you know, he was forced to bend his knee as well with everybody else. Because the Pope right. sort of united, you know, everyone where it's like, oh, we're not just as countries here. This is like, you know, this is a holy calling. You know, this is a holy war. All of you that are holy sea countries are well, now a, under Griffith's command. It's the it's thing is that uh, when the Griffiths arrived, you know, because there's a Charlotte, you know, like, you know, everybody from Midland is, you know, you know, how to say, bending in front of her. And when the actual, the pontiff, you know, arrives, you know, like everybody in Britannis, you know, you know, kneels and, you know, then he announces that uh, Griffiths is the chosen one and such. So, yeah, yeah, we can assume that they didn't have much of a choice in, you know, submitting to, to him. But, you know, what I'm thinking of now is, you know, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, the guilds and stuff like that that Robin mentions, you know, and I'm thinking mm. a guy like, you know, Van Dimian would be very well suited to managing that yeah. kind of stuff. Like that's his world, you know. So I don't know about money and stuff like that, but, you know, in any case, a guy like that could, you know, very easily take over any kind of trade or commerce or that kind of stuff. And his sons as well, you know, as you remember, there was one who was in uh, religious affairs and the other one was more about commerce. And I I think, you know, the Vendemir family probably would, you know, would manage to survive even even in an environment like, you know, I would think they would do well, yeah, in Falconia. Yeah, they're just, you know, cunning and talented people and, you know, these kind of guys. You know, it gets, you know, where the thing is, though, I mean, the other thing to consider is that Vendemian, he was driven to because he wanted to have everything under his under his power. You know, he wanted to be in control of all these things, have all these strings, strings in all these countries. But now humanity has no 
say in the matter. And so I'm sure and is he's he smart enough exactly, to be satisfied and to yeah. know, you know, whatever he does have in Falcone, it's like, don't, don't want more. <laughs> don't try to, that's you know, the thing, like any more power. Even if he has a position, I doubt he's necessarily happy about the, the state of the world. You know, he yeah, could be I feel a, like, I feel like Griffith probably just the way Falcone seems set up to me, like he was given a position that honors, you know, his power outside, you know, before sure. something, you know, at least, you know, relatively, you know, as uh, with as much esteem, but that, mm-hmm. you know, he might know, the, you know, in his heart, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm just another, you know, guy polishing Griffith's boots and I don't like it. <laughs> I ran the world. The other side, the less interesting take to me is if he's a completely different character, if he's not in power and he knows that and he can't get to where he was. And he's just some fucking rabble, you know. You see them in the streets of Falcone, but I just don't think that's going to be the case. I, th- I think we'll see him having <laughs> having Griffith, adapted. You know, to the- and like Luca asks him as he enters the city, "Do you have a skill? Yeah. <laughs> like, can you can you can you make can you work with leather?" It's like, yeah. no, no. Well, you know, <laughs> just, just, well, to you know. How, just to show how far he had fallen, just to see that difference would be interesting. But I just don't think that's the most interesting use of his character. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think, you know, either way, even if he lost everything, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that just, you know, breaks down or stop trying. I, I, I know, I think he would bounce back in any case. Yeah. Yeah, remember his, uh, speech about Ganeshka after Ganeshka appeared? He was like, that was nothing, nothing to worry about. That was just some bullshit. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, this is a guy, you know, that's, I think that's guy. You know, it's pretty much pretty good, you know, that's, uh, established. So, yeah. you know, I'm not too worried about him. I think he'll bounce back, whatever, whatever happens. He'll, he'll be there. And, uh, yeah, he probably won't be too happy about Griffiths. <laughs> and yeah. I think he's got to be around just cause, I mean, wouldn't it be great for him to see, uh, Farnese again, you know? Oh yeah. Coming in, <laughs> coming into Falconia and riding, riding on a wyvern and, you know, uh, throwing fireballs, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, father, I'll show you how to burn. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, as for whether we'll see Vertanis again, I don't know. I mean, return trip, would they go in the same path? I mean, you know, even know. if, even if they don't return there, I think it would be cool to see it. Like, like yeah. I said, you know, like whether it holds out or it's just a ruin. You know, I think it would be kind of cool to see, you know, like a city that was just, you know, like the aftermath of the new world, you know? Yeah. Well, it was and, already and, pretty well destroyed, you know, anyway. Yeah. Because of uh, Kanishka and the fire and the Daka and the apostles. Yeah. I mean, it became a war. It became sort of ground zero there for a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was damaged uh, during the battle. But, yeah. you know, the thing is. What I mean is, we didn't see, like, with Rickert and the other, you know, uh, already on the way to Falconia, we didn't get to see some kind of, uh, I don't know, yeah. a dire situation where nature takes over a town or a city. I think yeah, they were be... like in the woods already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would be cool to see, like, what, you know, an abandoned city would be like, a ruin. I don't know. I don't know. It's just an idea, but. The closest we came was probably when the, when it first happened, when Fantasia first took hold, and you know we would ju- we would just see the beginnings of it, you know, a dragon landing on a castle, and like the yep. headless horseman in some town, and we assume these are going to become uh, ruins before long. So it would be cool to see them return to, if not uh, Vertanus. You know, I guess that would probably be maybe the best one because you know they just left there and they'd come back and see something unrecognizable. Well, we yep. have a. It's one of the few cities we have a pretty good point of reference. Yeah. For. And yeah, we know it's exactly. a major, major, you know, city. Yeah. I think Azil said on a previous show 
that he didn't think we'd be getting such a detailed view of a city that we weren't already introduced to. So, for example, it would make sense to see Vertanis. It would make sense yeah. to see Enoch if we really want to, but I think we kind of know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the questions that I got. I just checked my mail again to see if any last-minute ones came in, but I thought that was pretty fun. I'll encourage yeah. people to keep doing that and see if we can keep that going. Yeah. That is the show, guys. Uh, we will be back sometime in September. Expect there to be a podcast after there is an episode. Uh, oh, that, that's right. We have to do volume 10. Whoops. So we'll probably <laughs> do one, I don't know, in two or three weeks or so, probably. I don't want to, don't, don't hold me to that because it's, uh, work and stuff. But yeah, we want to do a volume 10 reread and continue that. Uh, that's a big ass volume. Uh, so it's going to take a long time. I think volume nine was like two and a half hours and that was just me yeah. and Ezekiel. So if you, have you, have you heard that one yet, Griff? Did you listen to that on the honeymoon? Yeah, I listened to the ones uh, that I don't, I don't listen to the ones I'm on, but I listen to the ones I'm not on. Yeah. Do you listen? I will obviously you listen to, but I guess it's just as I would ask, like, as you listen to, you know, is it weird to no. hear yourself sort of talking, you know? Or no, no. It's like yeah. You, uh, I, I don't. You were uh, there. So, yeah, well, pretty much. You know, the thing is, uh, I don't have much time to listen to podcasts in general. And by that, I mean, I don't make the time for it. Because, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, when I, too hot to say, when I listen to something like to people talking, I, I kind of have to focus on it. So I can't, I don't read a website at the same time. Otherwise, you know, I'm not really paying attention. And to just spend, I don't know, like, you know, one hour not doing something, maybe, if, maybe if I, you know, I don't know, during, you know, exercise or while jogging around. I don't, but in any case, I, I don't really listen to podcasts. And so, like, I listened to the Froacast, but that was, you know, like an effort. An exception. You know? Yeah. 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 Pretty much. I did it because it's people I know, but yeah. So well, that's, it's because you're going about it the wrong way is what it sounds like. I, I certainly wouldn't sit at my computer and listen to an hour and a half podcast. I mean, I listen to it when I'm driving, which I do a lot of. I mean, I commute as an hour and a half one way. So, well, yeah. I, well, the thing is, when I commute, I, I usually I read. So, yeah. you know, but I didn't, uh, I forgot who I listened to it, but I wasn't just, you know, like sitting at the computer and looking at uh, my blank screen, but yeah. <laughs> In any case, I, I don't listen to podcasts much, so. Sure. I listen to these, I don't know, between two and three times each for every episode. Wow. Between the editing and proofing the one before it goes up, and then later, I'll usually listen to the one before if it's in a sequence, so that I, you know, if we forget something, I can add to the next show. So I listen to them probably more than anybody. And it's not so like it's not like I'm there glorifying the sound of my voice. Mostly, it's for like editing and quality check purposes. Oh, we I'm, know, we know you're yeah. egocentric. We know yep, that. It's true. <laughs> well, that's the show, guys. Uh, I would say, what are you playing? What have you been watching? But uh, has anybody been playing anything or watching anything? Well, I've been watching DS9. <laughs> oh God! That's oh right. wow! <sighs> yeah, you know, I tell you it. Uh, it does get pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I was surprised, but yeah, I'm uh, at the beginning of season four, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of got into the groove, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good, actually. It's pretty, you know, I would say it's even, you know, better than, you know, uh, the next generation at this point. Whoa, what? What? <laughs> yeah, what? man. Repeat he, the he, last knows pr- the, he knows the secret goodness of DS9 now. Well, you know, yeah, the thing is, uh, you know, it's not because, you know, like the actors are, I don't know, first they got better, you know, like, you know, I couldn't stand uh, Cisco and Odo at first. 
But, you know, I, I got over it. I think they got better as time went by. And mostly the story, you know, gets really interesting. Like, you know, big things are happening. You know, they're not just, you know, I don't know, you know, probing, you know, planets or shit like that. You know, it's war. It's, you know, interstellar war. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know if that will remain cool, but, you know, you know, to see actually a battle with, I don't know, 40, you know, ships, that's pretty nice. It doesn't sound very Star Trek-y to me. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that, uh, it's, uh, it's different, you know? It's different, so yeah, it's it's pretty cool at this at this at the moment, I guess. Because you, you gotta love Quark, right? Uh, Quark, you know, actually, I like Quark. You know, you know, yeah. there's some pretty good episodes with him. You know, I guess uh, he's uh, I don't know. Sometimes they just you know kind of play with the fairing thing. You know, it's the same yeah. stuff, but but other than that, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The, the he has a a few really cool episodes, like the one where he becomes. Head of a Klingon house. That was pretty fun, you know. I actually laughed a couple of times at this shit. And, uh, yeah, there's some stuff, some cool stuff, you know. I don't know. Deep Space Nine is like, to me, it's next generation with, like, on the weekend. It's like letting its hair down. It's just like, let's do some weird stuff. <laughs> like, even weirder than they did on Next Generation when they decided to do something weird. Yeah, it's, uh, and the thing is, like Wardo said, it's not, it doesn't feel very Star Trek character. I mean, you can tell that, uh, Roddenberry is not there anymore. You know, like, you know, they've got the warship, you know, with that's, you know, you know, stacked up with guns and, you know, they're just fighting in wars, you know. So, yeah, it's pretty much, and you know, what's funny is that you can feel a lot of inspiration from Mass Effect come from this. You know, I always, you know, kind of come back to this. Because, you know, it's interesting to me to notice the stuff, but you, you can tell, you know, a lot of things, even the music for the, you know, the intro yeah. for the, the fourth season actually sounds like, you know, some of the Mass Effect themes. So, you know, that's pretty, pretty funny to, to notice. Yeah, and other than that, I've just been, you know, uh, looking at videos of uh, Star Citizen and uh, oh, Elite yeah. Dangerous. Yeah, it's just, it's all <laughs> I fucking do. I do that all day. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I just look at the page, you know, to pre-order and I'm like, uh, nah, I should buy a new computer first. But, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're going to need to upgrade before Star Citizen. Man. Oh, yeah. Sure. You know, actually, you know, I've noticed uh, Oculus Rift uh, dev kit, you know, 2 is just $350. It's not that much, actually. You don't want to get one now, though. You're gonna wait till the release and get like the actual commercial version. Yeah, it's what. Uh, yeah, it's what. Of course, what I'm thinking. But still, yeah. you know, like that's. Uh, that's no, they said the. They've said. I think it was a recent article. I think Wired ran it uh, last week. They said that the pricing is going to be like super, super competitive. Not competitive, but to get it in, they want to get an Oculus Rift in every household, basically. Yeah. So they're going to make it. The pricing is going to be like crazy. You know, just to get wow. it in the door. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, the, what's his name? Palmer Lucky, the guy that's, uh, behind Oculus Rift. The main reason they, you know, sold to Facebook was so that they could, you know, like do this kind of shit. And, uh, so it's also, so they've got a deal with Samsung, you know, where Samsung is going to provide them with the screens. That was the hardest part for them. Yeah. So Samsung is providing them with the screens. And so Samsung will also release, you know, in the, in, uh, how to say in return, uh, Oculus Rift has lent them their technology, their software technology. So Samsung is going to release a, a headset, a VR headset next month. You know, they've hmm. got a, a conference where they're, you know, how to say shows a Galaxy Note 4, which is probably going to have, uh, uh, how to say, the screen is going to be like twice, uh, 1080p, you know, in a, you know, resolution. 4K. And, 
Well, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's not exactly 4K. I think it's you know you know like QHDA or that kind of shit. They've got all these acronyms for screen resolutions. Uh, in any case, <clears throat> it's going to be pretty high, and uh, you know, is there really is a, a headset with that where you just put the phone in, and you know the phone uh, can be used, you know, to do VR. So that will be like if somebody's got already a, uh, an expensive smartphone from Samsung, they can use it as a, you know, like I don't know, the headset itself will probably just cost like you know fifty bucks, and you know, up you can you know you can do this shit. Hmm. So you know, whenever I, see- I hear like talk about new resolutions and you know specs like that, I always think like, is it 128 bit? Because <laughs> like in my <laughs> mind, that's like, <laughs> like oh wow, it's, like, it's sort of the only that's always the sell. Is it like oh that's amazing? <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually it's twice the power of a Nintendo 64. Yeah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I think we're unfortunately we're past those marketing days. You know, actually, I unfortunately bought a book that had a lot of hype around it called Console Wars. It's a nonfiction about kind of the founding days of the Sega Genesis, and it's like bid against Nintendo as an established company, kind of like the underdog story of the of Sega in the early nineties. But it's it's written just fucking terribly. Oh my god, the guy like invents scenarios, conversations between people that maybe maybe happened, and tries to make like them funny. And oh, dramatization it is, may not have happened. A, yeah, it's it's like watching the, like the A and E dramatization of History Channel. You know, special presents. You know, here's what Alexander said when he was taking Hitler's a dump. Last kind of days with Hitler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I, 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 I seriously regret spending the ten dollars I took for the book because like, even uh, though it has some it has some historically inter- in- interesting stuff, but the way the guy writes it is stuff. Uh, I mean, that must obnoxious. really irk you as a you know a journalist, someone who does you know like serious writing, you know, like objective writing. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, you, the guy can you just do it that way. The guy, whenever he's talking about factual stuff, it's clean. And then he tries to like make it contextual by these little conversations. And it's just, you want to shut the whole thing down. It's terrible. But here's the thing though. Now here's a scenario where a sexy secretary from Sega tries to seduce Miyamoto. (laughs) (laughs) And what, what would that have been like? (laughs) It's not, it's not far from that (laughs) in terms of like how extreme they get, but, um, they're making it into a movie starring Seth Rogen. Comedy superstar oh, Seth Rogen. Oh. Yeah. Well, so, now uh, now it's it just justifies the whole thing for the writer. <laughs> it's like, yep, I yep. sold my movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the rights were sold before the the book even came out. Wow. Based Whoa. on the premise Wait. alone. Yeah. Really, I wish I had just like t- trademarked Console Wars as a title. <laughs> Probably yeah. a good amount of money right now. <laughs> oh, and surprise! It's the guy's first book ever. So of course, it's a work of art. Anyway, I'll stop shitting on this thing now. Good, good, good. I'm glad the guy was able to publish. I'm glad he made good a crap load of money. I just wish I hadn't spent money on it. That's all. So, wow. Oh, that's what a sour note watching? to end on. Oh well, how about Batman the animated series then? That's on Netflix now, right? Uh, I've been watching it on Prime. It's free on oh, Amazon yeah, yeah. Prime. That's so I've been I'm watching at. it on my computer, yeah. on my Wii U, all that stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, we're we're up to like. It's weird because the seasons, the way they produced it and the way they break up the seasons and the and the air dates are all completely different. Like they did like the first 64 episodes like in a block when they mm. did them. So, But they break it up by like 
28 episodes they'll say as a season and there's four of them on there and it's just yeah it's kind of interesting and weird like you're i guess we're watching it in order but not the order that it originally aired in but the order in which they produced it ah Mm. and anyway yeah it's just i'm really impressed i mean i hadn't watched the show since i originally watched it and i'm just you know like wow this is really, you know, there's a lot of these characters have a lot of pathos, you know, to them. The villains are all these sort of tortured people with these existential problems that they're having in addition to like, oh, and I'm a clay man now. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> on top of everything else. And like, oh, and it, my pro- it's a metaphor for my problem, too. Perfect. And also Ever- just the fact that like they use guns, you know, and knives and, you know, they're always people are always starting to kill each other. It's very adult themed just in that sense. But also the characterization is. You know, even beyond something like, you know, I thought the original cartoon X-Men was sort of impressive for, like, its progressive values and everything. But it's like they're still shooting, like, laser guns and yeah. talking about, I'll destroy you. <laughs> Whereas this kill thing you. is a lot. Yeah, well, no, where they, they won't say kill or anything, but they, yeah. they do on Batman. So it's kind of interesting. How I Welcome was like, I wonder why. To die. <laughs> I was wondering why this show, like, why was this show allowed to be more grown up? I guess because it's Batman and. He can do what he wants. It's dark. Yeah. I actually listened to a podcast recently where they talked about the production of that show and why it was interesting in terms of what they were able to pull off uh, in terms of the content. And there was some kind of bullshit they managed to wring out of the FCC. Basically, they were able to show guns because they weren't modern guns. They were Tommy guns. And so the 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 fear was if it was a modern automatic weapon – that would inspire a kid to go out and get an automatic weapon. Or, or, or the, dad's the thing weapon, is, it's like they'll, they'll have like pistols and revolvers, but I've also seen guns where it's like, you know, that's like the same 45, you know, basically. Oh, really? Okay. Today. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I bet, you know, they, that probably was their cell, though, I bet. Yeah. I mean, they, well, the thing is, a lot of these gun, a lot of gun designs, I mean, are the same as they were. I mean, it's sort of this, yeah. like, mock period piece, but, uh, yeah, that's the but other weird the, thing about it. They abstracted the the violence, so you'll even the opening is pretty uh, indicative of how they do it. Like you'll see Batman about to punch somebody, and then it'll like, be a white flash, right? And then the guy yeah. falls. Yeah. So well, it's actually, like a fight that you punch him in the face. You know, I don't know. I've I've never gotten the sense that they pull back. And there's even some things that I feel like by modern standards, like if you just follow controversies on like Game of Thrones, like where the Joker will like basically like abuse Harley Quinn, <laughs> like he just like, is like pushing her like down on the ground, the equivalent of like beating her, and it's like wow, I can't yeah. believe they were able to get away with this. <laughs> like this would like I you know my when I was a kid, like this was nothing. And yeah. now to my modern, you know, sensibilities, it's like, oh my god, I can't <laughs> believe this, <laughs> you know. I remember watching that show, and it came out at a time where basically I was of an age where I was still old enough to be watching cartoons, but I was also old enough to start appreciating that, hey, this is better than most cartoons, like in terms yeah. of storytelling, in terms of characters and things like that. So and it, the, the voice actors they got for it too, yeah. like it's uh, if you look at it, it's like all like it's not really like they mentioned that on a behind the scenes thing. They don't really have a lot of VAs that they were like they have like Ed Asner and Ron Perlman and you know all these you know these names you know and people you know Mark Hamill was the Joker famously and you know but it's like i'll be listening and i'll see like that sounds like that is ed bagley jr wow (laughs) you know interesting (laughs) and is that ed harris what do you know yeah i mean just little surprises like that uh, where it's like huh it's interesting i wonder why they did this you know like i guess maybe it was chic at the time or you know 
Batman was really in. Yeah. It's a good show. They, I've, I've, I should check know, it out again. I haven't seen it. Or, you know, they were just kid. there for the taking, but most, you know, shows or, you know, the producers of those shows didn't ask those people, you know, to do the voices. Right. Uh, I guess that's it, guys. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. And so stay tuned. Stay tuned.